Well, uh, really, really good morning to you. As Rich has already said, uh, my name is Ben and I'm uh, one of the leaders here, uh, which is a, a huge privilege. And uh, we're going to be just taking some time to look at that passage in Mark's Gospel. Uh, let me just reiterate what uh, uh, Richard has already said, and that is that uh, there's a sermon handout if you want to follow along. Um, and you may have noticed that <clears throat> just on the back there, there's a, there's a box for that I've put there, thoughts, comments, <coughs> questions, prayer points. That's because um, at the end of the sermon, we'll have some time, uh, just five minutes or so, for <clears throat> a bit of discussion. And if you want to ask a question about what's been said, or ask a question about something that's in the text, or you want to comment, uh, or uh, share a thought about the passage, then uh, we, that's a time for you to do so. We, we invite you to do so uh, at that time. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Um, and before we come to God's word, why don't we ask for his help and pray together. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. And Father, we just ask uh, this morning that we would hear your voice. Father, we pray that would happen in here. We, uh, we pray that would happen in the Sunday groups uh, and in the creche. As they hear that Jesus is the King, we pray for the, the children that they would, they would hear that in their hearts. Father, we pray for other churches meeting in Camborne this morning. We pray for uh, Peace Haven Baptist. We pray um, for Camborne Church. We pray that they would be proclaiming Jesus faithfully. And Father, we pray that as that happens here, you would fill us with the knowledge of God, that we may walk a life that is worthy of you. Please help us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me just ask you a question. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? Uh, I guess if we went around the room uh, and got some answers, there would, there would be a range of them, wouldn't there? So for some people, you might simply say, oh, well, he was a good man, he was a teacher, he was, a, he was an example to us. Uh, maybe you, you think that he's, he's a guy who was just made up. It doesn't really matter at all. Maybe you're here this morning because you just don't know who Jesus is. And you want to find out more about him. I guess for many of us here, uh, Jesus is much, much more than that. But the point is that if we went around the room, uh, all of us would be able to say something to that question, wouldn't we? We'd be able to answer something to the question, who uh, is Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? is now on one level uh, it doesn't matter what you think it doesn't matter what your answer is because in our passage this morning mark tells us he tells us exactly who jesus is now mark is is someone who spent a, a lot of time with uh, a follower of jesus called peter 
And what happened was Peter uh, followed uh, Jesus' life closely, and then he went and told Mark everything that he had seen. And Mark considered it so amazing, so important, that he wrote down uh, what he knew of the life and the death of Jesus. And straight away, having heard everything, he tells us exactly who Jesus is. Let's have a look at verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark's Gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you may have, uh, if you're not using a church Bible, you may have the word Christ, Jesus Christ. Uh, The two words really mean the same thing, Uh, Jesus the Messiah or Jesus uh, Christ. They're not a surname. So it's not like you would say about me, well, this is Ben, Ben Twiss. Uh, It's not like that. Rather, the Messiah is his title. So it's it's like saying um, uh, Martha, Martha who came to pray, uh, Martha the nurse. Or it would be like saying uh, Richard the the elder. Uh, It tells us something about who they are. That's, That's a title for them. But you see, the word Messiah is a very special title. It's completely unique. It's a title that at the time would make people sit up and listen because it was used by God's people to specifically describe God's chosen king. A man like Joshua, who led the people into the promised land, or a man like David, who who, who established God's reign. It is a chosen one, a chosen person. The Messiah is the chosen one or the chosen king who will rule and reign over God's people. You see, Mark tells us this this morning that Jesus is God's chosen king. Jesus is the Messiah. And so you see, when I ask you a question this morning, do you know who Jesus is? What I'm really asking you is, do you know this Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you know that Jesus is the chosen king who rules and who reigns? Now again, I suspect that many of us in this room would would answer that positively. We kind of say, yeah, of course, we know who Jesus is. Uh, uh, we know that he's the king, but I actually think you don't, you don't answer that question by verbally responding. You answer that question by looking at your life. You see, if your life is characterized by pride, if you rely on your own achievements, if everything you do is to gain some kind of power and glory over others, actually you don't really know who Jesus is. If you spend much of your time full of anxiety and fear over the struggles of this life and the death that hangs over each one of us, I don't think you know who this Jesus is at all. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty at that point. The characteristics I've just mentioned are normal. You know, for those of you who are... Visiting, welcome by the way. Um, you'll know this is the, 
perhaps you'll know this is the first service of this church. And trust me when I say the last few weeks and months at different times for myself have been full of pride and they've been certainly full of anxiety. You know, those struggles are normal. And actually, they're the struggles that we meet in Mark's gospel. People who, who meet Jesus, who spend time with Jesus, who get really close to Jesus, but they're full of pride or they're full of anxiety because they don't really know who he is. And so I'm simply making the point that it doesn't matter who you are. You know, whether you looked at Jesus before whether you've been following for many years or, or actually you, you've never really seen him, you need to meet him face to face. You need this Jesus. You need to know that this Jesus is the king and you need to respond to him. Now, as we work through the book of Mark, which we're doing over the next uh, few months, that's exactly what will happen. We'll, we'll meet God's chosen king. We'll see him face to face and we will need to respond. This morning we're looking at Mark's introduction. Uh, it's a slightly odd thing because having told us who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah, we don't actually meet Jesus in this passage. Uh, you may have noticed in the reading that what happens is a man called John appears and he starts baptising people and he starts preaching about Jesus. But you see, as we see that happening, we see three things about this Messiah, three things about this King that only really confirm that he's the Messiah. And then they feed into the rest of the book. They prepare us to meet Jesus. Three things about this king that we're, we're told uh, about the Jesus that we're about to meet in the rest of Mark's gospel. Here we go, three things. Firstly, Jesus is the victorious king. He's the victorious king. So we've seen in, uh, how in the very first verse, Mark tells us who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, he's the king, he's God's chosen king. But he also has something to report about that king. Just have a look at verse 1 again. He says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah. Now this is Mark's, if you like, this is Mark's headline. This is his, this is his title, uh, his introduction for the whole book. Um, and this passage that follows you see, he's about to tell us good news. It's good news about the king. Now, that doesn't simply mean he's got something nice to tell us. Uh, you know, good news uh, you might have here in your Bible's gospel, a phrase that was very common at the time, and it would have carried some weight. Good news or gospel there was really, really important. It would have been used for some kind of major victory or when, when a, a, an emperor raises, rises, it, it rises to the throne or when there's some kind of battle that's won. So, for example, uh, 490 uh, BC, uh, what happened is Persia invaded Greece and they landed in this place called Marathon just outside of uh, Athens and it was this continuation of a really kind of bloody, tough war that had happened or been going on for many, many years. And uh, what happened is the Greece army kind of appointed this runner called Philippides. Uh, that was his name. He was a designated runner. So what he would do, he'd, he'd run from Marathon back to Athens and he'd kind of um, report on how things were going. So in a couple of days, he had run 150 miles and he was going to get help for the Greeks he, he, was, he was going to uh, 
could tell them how, how things were progressing. And the whole time, Greece were on the edge. You know, they didn't know whether they were winning or losing. Would Caesar be, remain on his throne? Would Caesar, their king, stay on his throne? Uh, would they be taken over and oppressed by Persia? They just didn't know. Well, eventually, Philippides, they saw Philippides running one more time. After this 150 miles, back and forth, back and forth, they saw him coming in and uh, from Marathon to Athens one last time. And this time, he was shouting gospel. So he was proclaiming good news. So as he ran in, he collapsed and he was saying, we've won. A joy to you, we've won. And that was it. They'd won the battle, they'd won the war, they were free from their enemy. And Caesar was on the throne. He was the victorious king. And that was considered good news. See, that was gospel and that is how this phrase would have been used. And so you see, as Mark says here, as he says, look, this is gospel, this is good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Do you see, he's saying Jesus has just won. Jesus is on the throne. He's won. He is a victorious king. See, Mark has heard everything. He's heard everything about Jesus, life and death and resurrection. And here, here's his summary. Good news. It's a victory for God's chosen king. I guess, you know, a modern way to think about it, if you prefer, is, um, you know, like a newspaper report on, uh, this might be going back in time a bit, but I, I remember this well, on Andy Murray's Wimbledon year, you know, the year he won Wimbledon. Um, you know, it, it, the headline says, victory for Andy. And then the report says, all about his best moments, about the man, about how he got there, about the, 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 the five match set, about the amazing run of serves, about... Yeah, everything that he kind of did, the highlights. But ultimately, here's the point. It's good news. He won. He was victorious. That's what Mark is doing. It's a victory for a victorious king. But you see, here's the thing. When you, when you realise that, when you realise what is written about this Messiah is good news, it helps us to respond to Jesus rightly. See, Christianity is not a set of instructions. Yeah, it's not something you attain yourself. You know? So Jesus doesn't stand there, does he? Jesus never stands there in this book saying, you need, really tr- you need to try really hard to get this. No, he's done it all. He's won. Think of, it, uh, think of it like Andy Murray's win. You know, he's won that final match. He's hit that final uh, winning shot. And, and you know, the whole of Britain kind of erupts and rejoices. He'd done it. it wouldn't it be bizarre if he then stood in the middle of centre court and said, oh, by the way, guys, uh, you've, got, you've, got to come and, you've got to come and play now to win Wimbledon for Britain. You know? that, that's, that's just ridiculous. That's not good news. 
Good news means that it's all done. Jesus is the victorious king. It's good news about him that we rejoice in and we receive. Well, the obvious question, isn't it, is, is, well, what is it that we rejoice in? Uh, what, what is it that, that Jesus has won? Well, it's hugely different from uh, Greece winning a war, and it's very different from uh, uh, any kind of sporting event. The victory of this king is so much bigger than that, because this king was promised from long ago. That's the second thing we see, that Jesus is the promised king. Jesus is the promised king. So you may have noticed in verse 1 there how Mark states that look, this is the beginning of the gospel. Uh, that this victory has happened, but here in two, verses 2 to 5, he tells us how it began. And the interesting thing is the victory doesn't begin as Jesus appears. It doesn't even begin as John appears. Actually, it began hundreds of years before. Just have a look at verse 1 again. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So it was written about hundreds of years ago. What was written? It says, verse 2, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. See, this is a promise from the Old Testament. A promise that, that someone will come as a messenger. And his message, his voice, verse 3, is, is preparing the way for the Lord, for the Messiah. Ultimately, you see, it's a promise. So yeah, you've got this messenger who's going to come, but ultimately, it's a promise that God's chosen king will come. And so, as John the Baptist appears in the wilderness uh, with a message preaching for the people to repent and turn to God for forgiveness, have a look at what happens in verse 5. Verse 5, the whole of the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the River Jordan. Do you see, as John comes, the promise is fulfilled because he's the messenger. And the Jewish people know their Old Testaments. They know that as John comes and says something and is preparing the way for the Lord... They know that the next person who will appear is the Messiah. You know, they've been waiting for this promised king. And so they, they flock. They, they, they absolutely flood John the Baptist because they're getting ready to meet God's king. But why? What, why are they doing that? What, what is this king going to do? What, what kind of victory will he have. <clears throat> well, you, again, you may have noticed there that the, that the promise of this king was made at a time. See there, verse 3, when the people were in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. What happened is, hundreds of years before, they'd received this promised land uh, from God, which was overflowing with abundant goodness, which they could just enjoy and feast on. But as they entered it, they, they forgot about God and they just did what they liked. And so they were sent away from this promised land. They were captured and taken into exile, which is described in the Old Testament as a wilderness. 
You know, it's a place where it's, just, it's like a desert. They're surrounded by their enemies. Their life was dry and frustrating and dissatisfying. It was a place where, where the judgment of God just hung over them. And, and the shadow of death never left them. Now, God did bring his people out of there. But things were never really as they once were. You know, they still found themselves in the wilderness. And they were asking, where is God? Does he even care? They They were there saying, where is God? And the promises quoted here in Mark, and if you look at them in their full context, were promises that a Messiah would come, that someone would come, that they would see the glory of God, and that he would, he would put everything right. And so when John appears in the wilderness, after hundreds of years of waiting in this wilderness, they're flocking to him, because this is the time, this is the, the, the promised king is about to overthrow their enemies and restore God's reign and restore their promised land. All their hopes will be fulfilled. Their dry, dissatisfying life will end. And they'll be taken to something so much better. They would no longer live in the wilderness. They were longing for this day. And yet, you see, something really bizarre happens. Yeah, they go flocking to John the Baptist, but as you, as, you, as you look through Mark's gospel, not many people welcome Jesus. People had remembered these promises down the years, but they were so caught up with all their circumstances around them that the expectation was that the promised king would just sort out their circumstances. You know, that that he would come and destroy the Romans. The Romans were oppressing them at at, at that time. That was the expected victory, that he would come in power and take the throne by force. And so you see, when Jesus begins to cast out demons and confront sin and display power over death, people are confused. They're not, they're not our circumstances. They keep asking, who, who is this? And as for the religious leaders, well, they're not only confused, but they're furious. And the Romans that they expected this Jesus to destroy are the ones that they hand Jesus over to destroy him. Now, the irony, of course, is that as they do that, God's promised king fulfills these promises. You see, as he dies on a cross at the hands of the Romans, he doesn't overthrow the Romans. He dies and destroys our real enemies, sin and Satan and death. That's the wilderness that he rescues us from. And that is the good news. You know, death, the, the fear that, that underlies all fears is destroyed. 
The good news is that it's a spiritual salvation. It's given to us by a promised king. And it's so much bigger than our physical enemies. It's so much bigger than our circumstances. And Jesus does it because he's so much bigger than a normal king. This is the third and final thing we see this morning. Jesus is the divine king. Jesus is the divine king. Now again, if you, if you were to look at those promises in Mark, in their original context, what's really clear is that the Messiah coming is also God himself. Yeah, God himself will come. This is the, the, the promised king is also a divine king. That's what divine means, that he's, he's God. And we see this confirmed here with John. So having seen the whole of the countryside flocking to John, the, the scene suddenly cuts to this picture of John himself. Now have a look at verse, verse 6. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now look, that's a weird picture for anyone. But it's deliberate. It's entirely deliberate. Uh, John is dressed like an Old Testament prophet called Elijah. Uh, Elijah, was, he never died. Okay? He never died. He was taken uh, by God. And in one of the, the books of the Old Testament, he, he, he's, promised, um, uh, he, he's promised to come back before God comes, before this king, this divine king comes. So he says, look, I'm going to send my prophet Elijah, and then I will come. God himself will come. And here he is, John the Baptist. Here he is. Here, here is Elijah. John is dressed like Elijah. Jesus calls John Elijah later on. And what he does is he confirms for us that Jesus is God. That's what he, he, that is his message. Just look at verse 7. He says, uh, this is his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is not just another king. You know, he's not like another political ruler who, who takes the throne and commands armies, but then is only defeated by somebody else or replaced. He's, he's not like an Andy Murray or you know, someone that we hold up as a Messiah figure, somebody we think brings us joy and hope. He's far greater than that. He's greater than John. He's greater than anyone. And as we work through Mark's gospel, we will see this. We will see Jesus, a man doing things that only God can do. And the promise is that as he comes, he's not only a greater man, but his baptism is much greater too. Did you see there in verse 8? What's he going to baptise us with? The Holy Spirit. Now that simply means that as Jesus comes, ultimately, he will bring God's presence to his people. You know, think about that. So God's people stuck in the wilderness, asking, where is God? Where is God? Well, he's going to bring about in them an inward change. He's going to give God to them. And God will be with his people again. And that 
is good news. This is the beginning of the gospel, that you've come out of the wilderness, out of the shadow of death, and suddenly you get God. But it comes through this king, this victorious king, this promised king, this divine king. And so as we see him, as we see this Jesus, we'll need to trust him. I'm just going to grab a quick drink and um, why don't you talk for two minutes and then what we'll do, we'll just have a brief time for any thoughts or comments or questions and um, if there's none of those, that's absolutely fine. That's not a problem. But we'll, we'll kind of throw it open for uh, five minutes or so. Okay? So just chat amongst yourselves for a couple of minutes. Maybe you want to pick up on something and then uh, we'll, we'll talk more. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, anything at all that anybody wants to um, kind of say or ask or um, kind of throw in to anything that's been said or anything that you noticed in the passage or anything generally at all? Megan, come on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think um, that um, what, what Mark is trying to do here is he's trying to prepare us to, 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 to come face to face with this Jesus. Um, but I think his point is, look, th- this is the most amazing news ever. That th- This is what Jesus has done. He's taken you from the wilderness and he's given you God. And you cannot do that yourself. He has done it. That's why it's good news. And I, th- I think the, the, if there's, a, if there's a, a really kind of application, application that you could take away and get up tomorrow morning and think, just think about instantly, it's it, rejoice in that. Yeah, re- rejoice that actually you have no need to fear death tomorrow. Um, you, have, you, have, you, know, you have no need to to be anxious about anything because actually 
You've been baptised with the Holy Spirit if you trust in Jesus and nothing can take that away from you because it's all done. Um, I guess similarly, it ought to humble us, you know. I, I think his point is, look, Jesus has done this and only Jesus can do this. Um, and that's really, really, that's not only good news, that's the best news ever. Um, so if you get up tomorrow, you know, I, like, I have no doubt I'll get up tomorrow morning and my kids will be mental and uh, there will, three of them will be doing crazy things. And I'll be all frustrated and grumpy because they're not letting me do what I want to do. And yet I can rejoice that actually I, I, I cannot lose this salvation because it's good news. And Jesus has done it. And he's the king. Yeah. Is that helpful? Do you want to? No? Anyone else? Uh, Christine. Could you go over verse 6? Yeah. And the bit which refers to. Yeah. Sure. So um, there is, uh, I don't know if anybody's got exact references, two kings. Um, so you, you see Elijah described in uh, two kings. I've got uh, like a footnote there or anything. I've not got one in my Bible. Um, but basically, there's a place in the Old Testament where Elijah is described as wearing exactly what John is wearing. Now, uh, on top of that, um, Jesus actually refers to John as Elijah in Mark chapter 9, I think. Um, let me just try and find it. Um, yeah, so chapter 9, verse 13. Um, Jesus says... Uh, I tell you, Elijah has come. So they're expect- people are expecting Elijah before the Christ, before the Messiah. And um, uh, Jesus says, I, well, Elijah's come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it is written about him. And um, what he's referring to there, I think, is chapter 6, where they killed John the Baptist. Um, so it's really clear that, uh, that John is put forward as this Elijah-type figure. Uh, and I think it's Malachi chapter 4 or something. He, he's... It, again, that promise is clear that Elijah will come before God himself. Is that helpful, Christine? I don't know. If, yeah. Great. Anybody else? Any thoughts on that? Then Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, uh, thanks. Elijah suddenly came. Okay. There was no, there was no gradual moving yeah. introduction to him. Yeah. Just like John the Baptist suddenly came. Brilliant. Yeah. And, Jesus too, as far as the people were concerned, mm. suddenly appeared, yeah. calling repentance. Yeah. So there's a parallel right the way through from the beginning through in John the Baptist's life. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Anyone else? Any any final thoughts, comments or questions? Okay, great. Well look, um, why don't I pray, and then, um, are you, you going to lead us in the last song? Uh, and just to say, after, if you've, you know, once we've, once we've finished, plenty of tea and coffee left if you'd like to stick around, and um, yeah, do talk about this, keep talking about the sermon, uh, do pray together if that's appropriate, um, but let's pray now before we sing. Father, we uh, praise you so much for this Jesus, we thank you that he is the king who saves us. He is the king who brings us the victory over sin and Satan and death. 
and gives God to us. Father, we praise you that he's the king like no other who does this for us. Father, we uh, pray that we would, as we see this Jesus, that we would respond to him, that we would rejoice in what he's done. And that we would know him more. And we pray that that would be to your glory. Amen. Thank you, Ben. We sing our last hymn together. Who is this that the wind and wave?